I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Dr. Ken Druck, author and mental health expert. His new book is Raising an Aging Parent, Guidelines for Families in the Second Half of Life. Millions of Americans are caring for aging parents, whether that involves helping with finances, housing, health care, or assisting them with the unwelcome challenges and and changes we all face as we get older. After a year of giving workshops and community conversations across the United States, Dr. Druck felt inspired to speak directly to the adult children of aging parents. He teaches readers how to effectively care for our parents and ourselves and how to foster an atmosphere of love, understanding, and peace in our families. Dr. Druck has spent four decades helping people grow into the more courageous, compassionate, and resilient version of themselves by transforming adversities and losses of every kind into opportunities. He's been featured on CNN, PBS, HuffPost, and in the New York Times. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Dr. Druck. Catherine, so much, thank you so much for having me and inviting me to be with you this morning. Well, you are an international authority on healthy aging, uh, and, and we get that. Okay, but so the first question is, when you wrote your book, why did you decide to title it Raising an Aging Parent rather than Caring for an Aging Parent? Well, you know, Catherine, I, for years, you know how when you get together with your friends and their kids, you want to break the ice and warm up the room? Well, I, for many years, when I meet my friends' kids or I'm with them, I would always say, listen, I know it hasn't been easy raising your parents. And I would kid with them, but there was an element of truth as well, that they had had to be patient with their parents. They'd had to be supportive, encouraging, loving, understanding, kind, and that they had gone through a process in in, in a funny way of raising up of elevating, of having to be there for their parents. So when it, after I had finished the book and I was looking to title it, I thought, you know what, this is about raising an aging parent. This is about raising a parent who's getting older and all the issues that come with it. And the intention was to talk about how we raise each other up, not how we control each other or diminish each other, because that's not what we do when we're raising children either. When we're raising children, we're looking to lift them up, to empower them, to teach them to think critically. And in those times that they need our executive decision or executive opinion, we give it to them too. So that's the intention of raising an aging parent. It's to elevate. We uh, we want to elevate, I, and I understand that. And I'm just thinking about when you talk about uh, raising our aging parents, there are, as I understand it, 72 million baby boomers who are sort of caught in the middle between caring for their aging, I'm using the word caring, or raising their aging parents, and raising their own children. So there are some differences There is in terms of when our parents get older and the expectations we have and their expectations for us. Let's talk about some of those differences, because they are different as we, as baby boomers caught in the sandwich generation, having to do both, raise their kids, raise their aging parents. Uh, lots of issues here. So where do you want to start? Well, I, I think that you're you're so right in talking about the sandwich generation, <clears throat> those people whose parents are living and who have kids of their own. They have a marriage. They have a family. They may have a company or a career or a job. 
uh, and they're trying to have a life in the middle of it all. And how do you do that when you're being squeezed, when there are so many responsibilities and expectations? You're trying to be a good parent, but you're also trying to be a good son or daughter. And so it requires us to upgrade our, I call it our operating system, to professional-grade self-care, that it's not enough to get a mani and a petty, that we have to really learn how to say yes to some things when it comes to self-care and to say no and to prioritize, not to, especially if we're somebody who's used to saying yes to everybody and everything. We have to prioritize. We have to take exceptionally good care of ourselves if this is the phase of life that we're in. And there are differences. There are huge differences between you know, at being having children and raising a child who is learning how to be a person, who is learning to think independently, who you hope is learning to act and think responsibly and learn how to think critically so they can make good decisions in their lives. And then you have an aging parent, and we have so many emotions about watching our parents get older, including the grieving that we do. Of, of, of the loss of their younger selves, the mom we, or dad we remember. You know, I think that's an important point. That's been my experience uh, as a baby boomer and sort of putting myself in the position that you talk about in the book. That, that's a, that's a huge topic. That's sort of that loss. And, and we don't always talk about that. You know, this is the, my mother who I used to be able to go shopping with or do these kinds of certain things. I can't do that anymore. Yeah. And I don't think we spend enough time on that because it is a loss and there is a grieving process. And that's, I think that's key. Um, That's a real hard part. You know, we think about being in our family of origin. It's a real hard thing to watch our mom or our dad struggle in new ways, uh, to, to be in a position to help them think through the transitions that they're facing. Maybe they're retiring. Maybe they're having to downsize and move out of the family home. Maybe they're facing a health care issue that's more serious than anything they've had to deal with. So, Help being there as an advocate, a supporter, you know, a champion for them as a source of encouragement is not always easy, especially if we have lingering feelings from being a kid, from them being our parent, things that may have happened or things that may not have happened. And we've got to let that stuff go and really be there and show up for our parents, you know, if we want to satisfy our own standard of what it means to be a good son or daughter. And don't you think, Ken, we also have to realize that our expectations, and I think you, you talk about this in the book, have to change because when you're dealing with grief or loss of any kind, uh, there's often a lot of anger uh, that I'm angry at you because you can't do what you used to do or you mentally are not the same yeah. or physically or both, and that that has to be addressed. Absolutely. You know, how do we manage and constructively express whether it's hurt or anger or fear, you know, as we go through this new season of life with our parents getting a little older, how do we express those things in a constructive way rather than creating drama, rather than allowing ourselves to lead with resentment or anger? And I think it's policing ourselves and making sure that we're part of the solution, not perpetuating the problem not creating drama as our parents get older and resolving a lot of these issues. Some of them, we're, we're forced to resolve them on our own. And by the way, if you hear noise in the background, it's because yeah. there's a tremendous rainstorm 
you know, I live in San Diego, and we, we, you know, when rain comes, we dance in the rain because we're such a dry area. And today, yesterday and today, it's been raining like it's Seattle. And uh, so I'm sitting here in a rainstorm. <laughs> Are you? I'm in New York City, so we never hear the rain when we're in our apartment. So it's another, another world. But anyway, that's good. I'm glad it's raining. Yeah, it's a good thing. But anyhow, what, what you're saying is so important that, that it's normal and natural for us to feel some element of sadness, perhaps for all these emotions to arise as we watch our, our mom and dad change, as we watch them face new challenges in this, in this season of their life as they get older. And it also triggers in us sometimes a little bit of fear because, my God, if that ha- that's happening to my parents, or if I'm watching my grandparents pass away, you know, that's, gonna, that's the course of life. That's the way life goes. I'm, if I'm lucky, I'm going to get older, and I'm going to be de- having to deal with some of these challenges as well. So I think, I think it sometimes triggers in us some uncomfortable feelings, and we have to decide, am I going to avoid those feelings and, and distance myself from my parents because it's too uncomfortable? Or am I going to summon newfound courage and strength and understanding and compassion to face into these issues and to grow into the better version of me that can handle these things and act in a constructive way with my parents. And in doing that, I think we have to establish, as, as you say, as, as a social worker, we talk about boundaries. You know, there are physical boundaries, but there are emotional boundaries. And I think these become yes. very important with an aging parent um, and sometimes very difficult to establish because you may set up a new system of boundaries as you navigating things in a different way. So because the expectations to change on the parents part and on the children who are taking care of the parents. So that can get pretty complicated. Let's talk about Absolutely. boundaries. Yeah. I, I remember having to really set up that healthy boundary with my mom. She moved out here from New York, actually, when she was in her later years she could no longer maintain her, her apartment, and she had some health concerns, and half of our family lives in California, and we decided with her that it would be best to move her out here, and she could be in you know a little more sunshine, and, and she could be closer to us and be getting our caregiving support. But one of the things I noticed when I would visit her in her new apartment was that when I would say, Mom, I have to go... You know, I have to get back to, I'm seeing clients this afternoon, or I have to get on with my own family, that there would be a, a message like, oh, don't you have time? Or, yes, I realize there are things more important than visiting with, you know, and I would get this guilt. And I'd walk away saying, feeling bad. And she'd, she'd be, be feeling bad. So I called her one time after I got home, and I said, Mom, we've got to stop doing this. You know, I leave, I love visiting with you, but I leave feeling guilty and you leave feeling neglected. And how can we change that? And what I decided was, Mom, I'm going to tell you before I come visit how much time I have. And if it's not okay with you that I only have an hour, an hour and a half, tell me because I'll wait until I have an hour and a half and we won't have to feel bad. And she agreed. 
and she agreed not to say anything that was guilt-inducing at the end. And sometimes she would be tempted. She'd bite her tongue and she'd say, see, I'm behaving. And, you know, it, it really helped us. It helped improve the quality of our time together. And sometimes we have to have those direct, forthright communications with our parents about their behavior, about what they're doing and saying. And it establishes a healthier boundary and a clarity and some new agreements that we all need. It's all about clarity, and I think that's a perfect example. And I always wonder, it's very difficult sometimes for people to have that simple conversation. Just talk about the limits, to to call back and say, I felt uncomfortable. Did you feel uncomfortable? This is, you know, I have certain limits, whatever whatever the issue is, but to be able to at least to talk about it. And um, I think that's key. Obviously, you talk about that in your book. So we're talking about limits and expectations. You also, uh, there was a, I had, I, I, you were at, um, with Joan London, I think, uh, a few years ago at one of her camps and um, discussing just this. And um, Yes. Yeah, which was uh, it was a great article. Um, and thank you. Yeah, but it was. It, you know, it's it's so important. To, you know, what you're saying is so important about how do we have those conversations? How do we get better? How do we get improve the way we enter a conversation? Bring up a conversation. Uh, how do we set the tone so there's a tone of really wanting to talk together? of really understanding one another. And the way we do that, I think, is is by, at first, by asking permission, saying, you know, Mom, I'd like to have a, a talk with you about something. Is, you know, is this a good time for you? Is, is Are you agreeable to doing this? I really would like to iron out this wrinkle in our relationship and make things better. I love you so much. And I think setting that tone of caring Setting, rather than them feeling like they're being put in a courtroom and prosecuted and that you're producing evidence that they're wrong and you're right, um, you know, and, and that's not the way to start a conversation. And I think sometimes starting a conversation can begin with an apology. Dad, I'm, I have an, owe you an apology. What? Yeah, I, I want to apologize because I've let something build up between us. And I've, I've been feeling something for a long time, but I didn't have the confidence in us to be able to talk about it. But I'd like to talk about it now. Is that okay? Can, can we have this conversation? And I want to apologize that I didn't believe in us enough to, be, to think that we could successfully talk about something that happened that was hurtful to me. So I think, I think- there are many ways to enter a conversation. And, of course, ending a conversation with an expression of gratitude, especially on as we all approach Thanksgiving, uh, you know, and, and ending a conversation with gratitude and and emphasizing that if there are new agreements that have been made, uh, is is the critical and caring way to end or wind down a conversation. And I think another thing that you've mentioned also is the fact that yes, you have that conversation with your aging parent, but. Siblings who are all maybe all responsible in some way for caring for that aging parent uh, need to have those kinds of conversations as well, because siblings don't always get along and perhaps they haven't gotten along, but maybe they need to get along in order to take care of 
you know, mom and mom and dad, or mom or dad or whomever. But yep. um, yeah, so that sort of same if kind of. Aging, if you ask aging parents, what's one of the biggest stresses? It's watching their kids who are now 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, fighting, reviving sibling rivalries, disagreeing, uh, acting against each other, fighting with each other for who's going to be the family hero, who's going to be the best son or daughter. It, It creates stress and pain for our parents to see us fighting. So how can we learn to be collaborators with our siblings, get over sibling rivalries, stop competing with them for our parents' love and, and, and favor and approval. And I think it's time for us to really work together if we have siblings and also with our chosen family members. You know, a lot of people aren't necessarily our siblings, but they're helping our parents and to work together with them in the interest of giving care and attention to our parents' needs. But you've also listed what your aging parents want you to know, because I think that's just as important, what they want us to know as well. Um, and let's talk about some of those, because you've got a whole list yeah. of those kinds of things, addressing what their needs or wants are. Um, first one I have here that I wanted to talk about when your parent says, well, I, I still have my a mind of my own. And I think sometimes it's easy to dismiss that. You come in, you take over, you're the, you know, things have to be done and you do them, but you disregard that, hey, this is, this is a, an adult who also has, wants to make certain choices or the choices that are available to them. Exactly. You know, we do that with our kids too sometimes, Catherine, don't we? You know, where we just want to fix the problem. We, we don't have a lot of time or energy and we just come in to, to, to do a quick fix. And we, you know, we take charge and we take over. And what do our kids learn? They learn learned helplessness. They learn that they don't have to think critically. They don't have to render decisions. They don't have to explore what their options are. If we're doing all the work for them, if we take over, and it's the same thing, you know, in a way with our aging parents. You know, if we're taking over everything rather than saying, Mom, I want your opinion. I, I see four options. What do you think about this? Which one do you think is the best option? Can we talk about that? And I think, you know, learning to involve them, engage them, to understand that, yeah, they may not be able to do exactly what they used to do, but they still have very clear thoughts, intentions, ideas, feelings, and, and, uh, and desires that need to be heard. And is there any more powerful experience that any of us can have than the feeling of being understood, of being listened to, of, of looking into somebody else's eyes and seeing that they really are listening, that they have our well-being at heart. And I think that's one of the greatest gifts that we can give to aging parents is the gift of just listening, asking open-ended questions, drawing them out, finding out how they think, what they feel, what's, what's weighing heavily on their hearts, and what's making their hearts sing. You know, let's not forget that. It's like, you know, our parents, are they may be getting older, but they may be having some of the most fun they've ever had. They may be emotionally freer than they've ever been. They may be uh, in, in adventures, involved in things, adventure, travel, who knows, enjoying their grandchildren, doing things, repurposing their knowledge and skills by mentoring younger people. They may be doing things that are just making their hearts sing as never before. 
Well, I think one of the things that, uh, and obviously you know this, but discrimination, in terms of discrimination, ageism is the biggest, is the number one in our country anyway, discrimi discriminating against older people. And uh, you, I, I'm thinking about my mother, who's quite old, uh, who had a visiting nurse come in and started referring to her. This is a woman who has an MSW from Columbia and very, very smart lady, my mother. And she's talking to her, calling her deary and sweetie and, 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 you know, really diminishing, diminishing her who she yeah diminishing her when she left my mother said i never want to see her again so uh, the next time six months later when somebody was supposed to come in and see her i said to the person i don't i wasn't sure the same one lady was going to come but i said you, you can't talk to her that way and call her dearie and sweetie and um diminish her that way so you, know, you have to intervene in those kinds of situations as well as you, you know exactly and and like we started saying that raising an aging parent is really elevating them. It's not diminishing them. It's elevating them. Any, any more than raising a child is elevating them. It's not looking at what they can't do and taking control. It's helping them grow into, into capable, knowledgeable, informed, uh, smart individuals to grow up in that way. And, you know, we can, just as we help our children grow up, we can help our parents grow older and without, you know, without judgment, without diminishing them in the least. And if we see that somebody else is, somebody's rendering them, like my mom told me, she said, you know what, sometimes I'm sitting at a table with a group of younger people and I feel like they don't even see me, like I'm invisible, I'm disposable, you know, I'm, I'm useless now. I, I've aged out of being able to be part of an intelligent conversation, and it makes it hurts me. It makes me really feel like I'm not included anymore. I'm not a part of this life and of, of this community anymore. And do we really want to do that? Especially when the richness, the wisdom, the experience, the fun, the aliveness in so many of our parents. It can add so much to the quality of family gatherings of our lives, of our grand, of their grandchildren's lives and experience. Why not harvest that as an opportunity rather than diminish them? And I think that's not always easy to do, depending how old your aging parent is. If they're quite old, let's say they're 85 or older, and, you know, the world changed so quickly, and they haven't been involved in the Internet and social media and all of the things that have happened in the past 20 years, many of their friends and their support systems are gone or dead. It's really difficult to be able to do that, even in the course of watching television or seeing a movie it's difficult to connect if you are in the house yes. most of the time. So those are all issues, I think, that um, not that they're new issues, but because things do happen so quickly to help yeah. them. Yeah. You know, and, and one of the things we could do, you know, sometimes we can create a bridge for our children in connecting with their grandparents by saying, you know, here are 25 things that you should ask grandma about that she would love, probably love to talk with you about. You could even turn on your video record, you know, turn on your voice recorder or record and capture, you know, the, some of the stories and the richness of our family's history or things that she did. 
you know, my mom played in the 1934 World's Fair. She played the clarinet. And getting her to tell the story of what that was like, you know, was is remarkable. There's some history that we could be passing on. Did you know that your grandfather, did you know that your grandmother, or if they've heard the story directly from their grandparents, they will never forget it. And it's that legacy that we want to pass on the best parts of our parents to future generations. Aren't we all better if we know on, on whose shoulders we're standing? A little bit about our ancestors, where we came from, what they did to, to you know, epigenetically to, to pay the good forward that they had the experience of, how many of our families came over from another land and settled things here so that we could enjoy two generations later a better life. And don't we want to feel gratitude and have that historical perspective? Well, the way we get it is by engaging them. And yeah, it's true that, you know, it's sometimes it's tough, but our kids are watching us. We can show our children how to connect with their grandparents, their aunts and uncles, in a way that, that involves them, engages them, draws out the best in them, rather than sitting around and doing things or talking about things that they have no idea about, that they won't be able to get involved in talking about. Great suggestion. We only have a couple minutes left, but just did, one of my sons did exactly that. He's a filmmaker, and he filmed uh, my mother and asked her those kinds of questions that you're talking about. So that we Fantastic. Have, uh, yeah, it's great. That's exactly, I think that's a great idea. Two minutes left, so can, great book. Uh, Thank you so much. Yeah, Raising an Aging Parent, Dr. Ken Druck. But so, Ken, I know you speak around the country, and you've, you know, so give us information or websites that we can go to about what you're doing and also... Well, my schedule, the the best way for people, if you want to hear more about what we're doing, we're talking about so many of these subjects and writing articles. Uh, I think we're in today's uh, Wall Street Journal. Um, You know, if you want to find out more about me and what I'm doing, where I am, or share in some of the writing that I've done, please go to my website, www.kendruck.com, K-E-N-D-R-U-C-K.com. And uh, just remember the word Druck, like truck with a D. And the other thing you can do is to go on, if you're on Facebook, go on to Dr. Ken Druck, and uh, you'll see articles and everything I'm doing, where I'm going, programs I'm giving around the country. I'll be doing a program in New York early next year. Uh, I, half my family's still in New York, and, uh, but I'll be doing programs around the country this year, just as we did a couple of years, the last couple of years with my Courageous Aging book. And we'll be giving, uh, convening community conversations. And I'd love to hear from people. I learn from listening to people. Whether, even if you disagree with me, I learn from you. Um, or if you can share a story about what you've gone through, please share that with me. That's the way I learn. That's the way I'm back in school. And we deepen what we all have to teach one another. Great. Dr. Ken Druck, thanks so much for being on the show today. Catherine, so thanks so much for the work yeah. you're doing and your great show. I'm Thank honored you. and privileged to be a part of it today. Great. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm.